I think people are going to get more private in their lives and not share as much. Or maybe that's just what I want to happen. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good full picture, just my desires. <laughs> maybe. Maybe in five years we'll just go completely reverse. Yes. and welcome back to The Human Element, Kara's podcast focused on finding ways to inject humanity and insight into modern marketing. It's been a while since we've had the podcast episodes, and I can't think of a better way to dive right back into it, as today I'm here with Vicky Jardine, VP of Marketing Excellence at Kraft Heinz International, and Diana Boyai, Chief Media Officer at Kara US, to discuss the relationship of brand emotional intelligence and business growth. Thank you both for joining. Thank you for having me. Very exciting topic. Yes, thank you. So happy to be here. Awesome. Well, let's dive in with the the simplest question I could possibly think of right now. Do you mind telling us a bit about your roles and how they've evolved over the years? So I'm in a very exciting role, which is a new role. So talk about evolution. The at Cara, we created a new role. It's about I'm in about six months now, and is the chief media officer. And ultimately, we created that role because of so many things we're going to talk about today on this podcast, but ultimately greater collaboration within the product, between teams, really understanding and starting with human understanding, strategy, and pulling that through every step of the process and through the plan. So it's been really exciting. And again, a great evolution to see how integral human understanding and strategy have become to media planning. I am currently the VP of Marketing Excellence at Craft Times International. I'm basically responsible for the expert functions. So strategy and insight, capabilities, marketing services, marketing ops, and media and digital. I'm a brand builder. My whole career, I've spent very fortunate to lead some of the world's most iconic brands, right? so. Currently, obviously, the portfolio at Kraft Heinz with Heinz, it's so iconic. It means so much to so many people on a much more emotional level than functional. And in my previous life, uh, still the same life, I also was fortunate to lead Dove globally, also a very differentiated brand based on an understanding of kind of human emotion and and the emotions around beauty in, in that regard. A topic that I truly believe in and I'm very passionate about when it comes to how brands need to show up and understand the humans that they they serve, basically. So as you both know, and maybe a little bit of our audience today, uh, Kara has recently published their Brand EQ report, which captured the views of 15,000 people in 15 different markets across 51 of the world's largest, biggest brands to explore the relationship between EQ to drive growth and consumer loyalty. Let's start with what EQ means to you and the role EQ plays in strategy and activation in brands. The study and emotional intelligence that's really taken from the seminal work that Daniel Goleman has done is is really, for me, the, the kind of heart of how certainly I think about brands, right? Which is, first and foremost, you know, what are your motivations, right? As a brand, what are your values? What are your beliefs? Why do you exist? And unless you have that, that real kind of depth of understanding of, you know, what the the brand stands for in a motivational context, it's very hard to do anything else. So 
for, for me, it's at the core of brand build. And then, you know, if you have that understanding of your values and your beliefs, how you show up as a brand, right? How does that belief system manifest in brand experience, in media, in communications? Do you show up consistently, right? Across time, across geography, across channel. And so as a as a way to think about the human aspect of brands and and again what the report shows very interestingly is that for consumers certainly younger consumers this measurement of eq emotional intelligence is absolutely where that younger generation sees brand value brand relevance and brand belief so incredibly important i think everything that we do to make things more human in our world is just so important And so thinking from strategy to activation and and thinking about the consumer journey and the people within that journey and how they go about it, how I go about my own consumer journey versus how you go about yours, it is really interesting to me. I believe in the role it plays and I just really excited to have the research to prove it. So great follow-up question to that, Diana. Were there any surprises that we've learned from the study? There was an area around technology and tech companies. And and I think that was surprising. And there was a bit of a call out in the research. I think, and again, just from a consumer of media, I do see tech companies doing more to make themselves more human and to feel more human. You know, we talk a bit about Gen Z and how hard it is to reach Gen Z and, and what are our tactics. What is interesting about that is when Gen Z thinks about technology, they think a lot about what that technology does for them. So if it makes an experience more personalized or if it makes an experience easier or more efficient, it's ultimately doing them a service, right? Which is making that brand very human to them. And so I think the tech companies have picked up on that. So a few years ago, the tech companies weren't one of those categories that really popped as high in EQ, but they realize how important it is and they're going after it. What is fascinating, right, is those younger generations are seeing digital utility in their mind that equals human empathy, right? So, you know, a brand that understands me, and if you think about the last couple of years, and certainly through the pandemic, how much we relied on technology to help us figure out the world, what was perhaps possible, not possible, that together with a much faster feedback loop than something like CPG, the industry I'm in, is able to do, right? Because that kind of user experience, the ability to change, adapt, you know, the algorithm perhaps helps you with utility, with consumer journey or experience, I think that is is fascinating. I also thought what was quite fascinating, though, is the values and beliefs that underpin some of those tech brands, right? Not, not all of them scored incredibly highly. And I think, you know, I would encourage anyone to read the study because it, it goes back to Goldman's four dimensions of emotional intelligence, right? You definitely have that utility with the tech companies, but I would posit that a a couple perhaps that haven't exhibited the most consistent values and beliefs, whilst they have absolutely incredibly strong interfaces and incredibly strong utility, scored lower overall 
right? So it, it's not just that they are digitized and efficient. Um, the, the ones that really did score incredibly well in that study also had incredibly strong, I would say, brand build fundamentals in that they had very clear, communicated values, beliefs, and they were able to demonstrate that as much as they were able to demonstrate that kind of utility. Absolutely. And so Vicky, you kind of, you mentioned this, but I don't know if easier is the word, but it seems like for tech, it is a bit easier to really lean into EQ if you have the right platform. And they start with a a different digital platform than others, such as a retailer CPG brand. So how do you balance at Craft Times uh, brand EQ with performance strategies? Whatever industry and whatever brand you're fortunate enough to lead, the, the starting point is the same for all of us, right? Which is that, you know, motivation. So again, the values and beliefs, and everyone is able to do that, regardless of whether you are CPG, tech, finance, auto, etc. I think where it gets more difficult for CPG brands is being able to bring that overall consumer experience. So, you know, whether you're experiencing, for example, our, you know, Heinz ketchup, which is the number one most loved ketchup all across the world, right? At your home or in a restaurant at your dinner table, that experience and that unmistakable taste is is really tremendous. But how then as a CPG do we bring that experience to more touch points? So whether that is through some of the things we think about with our food service partners and bringing quick commerce, right? Which from a performance marketing or, or media planning perspective, you know, has a different role to play, whether that's kind of experiential in in the UK, for example, through some of the work we've done with Karat on TV educational partnership programs, helping people think very pragmatically and very easily about how they would bring more plant-based into their diet. So I think it's less about performance marketing per se. I think it's more about understanding how you want to show up and whether that's then a media strategy, you know, trade marketing strategy or experiential strategy, making sure you're bringing your full self and that that utility of experience to bear wherever you are. How is craft seeking out to make positive contributions? So you sort of mentioned it a little bit, but just what are you most proud of with your brand and how they're making positive contributions in the world? For us at Craft Heinz and, and certainly with Heinz, purpose isn't something that is new for us, uh, nor emotional intelligence. In fact, if you go back to the brand's origins and our our founder, um, Mr. Henry J. Hines, right, over 150 years ago, he was pioneering the Pure Foods Act. He believed that good quality, affordable foods should be available to all. And really those kind of values and beliefs that the founder started the brand with have, have carried us through the through the generations. So I would say three things. We're, we're very proud of what we're doing with regards to food and the agricultural sustainable program. So, you know, we work a lot with our farmers on regenerative farming as an example. We're also very proud of what we do to kind of understand and help, for example, in Brazil, small entrepreneurs in our food service businesses. So not only with culinary expertise, but also how we help provide kind of trainings and education when it comes to kind of microfinancing, how to run a business, et cetera. And then some of the more innovative things we're doing 
with a wider portfolio. I'm from the UK. The humble Heinz baked bean here is a is a food staple. It may surprise some of you that you know beans in a can is one of the highest sources of protein. So the humble bean, if we think about security of food and you know trying to move towards more plant based diets, really kind of democratic and easy to understand education and inspirations that encourage people to put more plant based within their meals. So whether it's our supply chain our customer or consumer base, those values and beliefs that Henry J had on affordable, nutritious and available to everyone are are really what makes us proud every day, I would say. I love that. That's a great response. Diana, is there a few other headlines for marketers in terms of insights and practical questions they should be asking themselves in order to achieve higher levels of EQ? Yeah. So Vicky mentioned the godfather of EQ, Dr. Daniel Coleman. And I think what's interesting about that is, you know, he was at Cannes and he really talked about, you know, self-awareness and how self-awareness is so intrinsic to emotional intelligence. Knowing where you stand, what your angle is, what you stand for, you know, what as an organization do you want people to know about you? You know, what the perception is and what the reality of that is. I mean, I think those are the questions that, you do want to ask and that you should know and be very honest with yourself about as an organization. I also think that it actually tying both to what Vicky said and what you just said, Diana, is not just the self-awareness across the board, because there is that, right? As a whole, what do you stand for? But then also reminding yourself in every single touch point to the consumer that that self-awareness is coming through, right? So that might shift in strategy or in an activation method. But I, I do think... That's the part that might sometimes be disconnected for marketers today is that high mission, what you stand for, self-awareness, and then how that comes back to the day-to-day for a consumer and the touch points that you speak with them. Yeah, I think what's interesting about what you just said, Chelsea, is it, it goes back to a bit of what I was talking about in you know, really understanding a consumer journey and then tying that back to the consumer journey, right? At this point in the consumer's process, like, what am I doing as an organization? What am I doing to reassure them that we have shared beliefs or common values? Because we do know that that matters, that these more human brands are more successful. So if you think about where you can be more human throughout the consumer journey, ultimately, we believe you would be more successful. And so you both mentioned earlier on too around different audiences, in particular, you both mentioned Gen Z. Carol will be launching a new spinoff report that dives deeper into brand EQ across the generations and what that means. One key learning is that Gen Z feels EQ more than anyone else is much more polarized around brands, either scoring them higher or lower. With that, Vicky, how is Kraft continuing to evolve their strategies for the younger generations? Yeah, I think the younger generations, their ability to live with digital and their ability to find information means you know you you can't begin to think that you can communicate a point of view or a belief somewhere but then perhaps your overall business doesn't have that follow through as Diana said with the, the consistency of values and I think therefore Gen Z are, are much more likely to be able to put together different data points different sources different things they've seen and form a more holistic 
perspective than perhaps generations who had less access to all different kinds of kind of data. For Kraft Heinz, there's a number of things we're doing. So certainly from a a relevance perspective, I come back as an example to to the, the humble bean, right? The humble bean in a can is incredibly nutritious. It's incredibly sustainable. In fact, it's probably one of the world's <laughs> original superfoods in some regards. But how do we make that relevant for a younger generation? So whether that's through our channel plays with food service, whether that's through format. So for example, bean-based burgers or beans-based hummus, convenience formats are all things which understand in kind of lifestyle and segmentation and, and showing up still as a brand that is timeless, right? With the same values and the same beliefs, but in a very timely um, and relevant way to meet the needs of, of that younger generation. And then Diana, what advice do you have for marketers who are building media strategies right now for the Gen Z audience? Because this is the first generation to not know a life without the internet or all of these digital companies and tools, they are exposed to so much, so much more, you know, to make their opinions and to select companies and to judge companies that I think the idea that they, you know, so much that I've heard about them is they care so much about others because they're exposed to experiences that are potentially are out of maybe their inner circle or where they may be. So they get to see so much more and they get to learn so much more about other people, other cultures, other generations. It may feel a little soft, but to happen to this caring for others that they have, I find that to be such a special quality that they are known to care more about others than any other generation so far. So um, I think that's really special. So I'd like to take a minute to actually look internally too. So for both of your organizations, respectfully, and how you're setting your teams up to work in an EQ manner and really support an emotional intelligence marketing. And what does that look like? Or what do you think marketers need to do to shape their teams in the correct way? I'll tell you the way, the way we're setting up our teams is one, to be more human at the get-go, Right. We have a philosophy and an approach to planning we call designing for people. It is all about this. It is all about understanding and building that value exchange and knowing that the more we understand audiences and create value for them, the more they will respond and interact and engage with brands. So that's really where we're making a difference in building teams and thinking about the audience and the people that we're designing for being at the center throughout every piece of the process. I think the basics remain as important as they ever were, right? Which is you need to absolutely understand and view your brand and your business through the eyes of your consumer, right? Not what you think they think or, you know, not what your your mom or your partner think, right? And therefore, well, this must be the answer. That true kind of empathetic, curious and insightful approach to life and and a humility and a humbleness to really understand the lives, the wants, the needs, the desires of your consumer target remains kind of fundamental and important. The other thing that we do believe at Craft Times is the demand and the need for diversity. So whether that is ensuring that your teams are gender balanced, geographically and culturally balanced, or diversity of thought, right? So 
having members of your team from very different backgrounds. For example, I've got people in my team from academic backgrounds who've come from production backgrounds, as well as kind of classical CPG tracks. So no kind of cookie cutter. This is what a CPG marketeer looks like. Everyone came from the same school, from the same marketing paradigm and upbringing, but bringing that real consumer empathy and humility with diversity of thought as much as kind of diversity of some of the other dimensions is incredibly important and how we think about it. Yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't say too, though, that with diversity of thought, right, we're sitting on data. As marketers, as agencies, we're sitting on a plethora of data, but what? how do you turn that data into insight? And it sounds like that the the people and the talent that you're bringing into your organizations are really also leveraging that data to bring that insight to life, uh, which I think is extremely important, especially when you think about a wide pool of talent that has different thinking and thinks differently when they look at one piece of data. It might be very different to someone in that insight that they're pulling than another, right? So really keeping the practice and making sure that everyone has the ability to sit at the table and bring that thought to life. Sounds extremely important to today's marketing. Chelsea, I think that's right. And Vicki, everything you said, and within that, just great collaboration, right? Deep collaboration between different disciplines, different people, different groups to get to really what that key insight is. Collaboration is key. You know, people talk about big data, right? And for big data, you're like, yeah. <laughs> rather not describe ourselves as data-driven, right? Rather describe ourselves as insight-driven. And that's where, um, back to emotional intelligence, right? Humans, if only it was so easy, because what people, humans, consumers will tell you isn't necessarily what they think. And what they think isn't necessarily what they feel. And so getting truly to something insightful and deep it's not only having, again, that kind of ability to see past perhaps the obvious data and get really to, but what is it that's really driving this human insight, this human need, this human want? And you get so many conversations with, no, 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 but this cohort's different or this segment's different or this country's different. I'm like, you know... <laughs> I have been so fortunate to go to many countries in my career. I've sat in, you know, very beautiful houses in New Jersey talking to housewives. And I've sat in very impoverished houses in townships in South Africa, in lower income areas in India. And actually human needs are universal, right? Like people want the best for their kids. They worry about being happy, being healthy. They want to belong. They maybe want some excitement in their lives and that might look very different. And again, I think that really underpins emotional intelligence because it may look very different, right? If you go to um, the Gulf states and you see a household there, but when you actually talk to people, to humans one-to-one and you, you really try and understand them, that human and that emotional intelligence is so important because trying to understand human needs and then getting to something that's truly insightful is exactly that, right? It's that depth of, I think, human connection that is the difference between a data-driven, not particularly inspiring, brief media strategy, comm strategy, and something that really hits 
and really hits emotionally with the with the viewer or with the consumer. Let's take a quick look at the industry as a whole. Where is the industry missing the mark right now? Are there areas where you're most frustrated by the lack of progress? This may sound like an obvious answer, and I know everyone's working hard at making progress, but you know, I, I think for the most part, we've been talking about measurement so much, right? I think measurement is the place that we need to get better at and really and really have figured out. But I know there's great work streams and so many people are working toward better measurement and better cross-channel measurement. I would say an understanding of of kind of data-driven versus insight-driven and this kind of flaw performance, right? As if the rest of marketing isn't designed to drive your brand and business, I think is at risk of overtaking the real conversations, right? The last time I I saw Google was actually advertised a beautiful piece of film in a cinema, right? So if we can be clear on what drives brand equity business for the longer term, what drives for the shorter term, and that, you know, marketing done well is all in the service of driving and elevating your brand to be able to continue to grow, then that for me is where some elements of the industry still I think are seeing it as quite binary or one is better than the other. And I don't think that paradigm makes sense if business growth is what we're all trying to deliver as marketers at the end of the day. Where do you think the industry has made the most progress? I think our industry is trying really hard to be more human and to do more good. Not that it wasn't trying to do good before, but I I do believe that it has become very integral to our industry. Yeah, I I would say COVID also accelerated that in some ways because I think we saw many industries and companies, I mean, certainly Craft Times were a food company, we were like, look, as the pandemic hit, we were like, we know people rely on our everyday staples, right? We need to make them available. We need to figure out how to safely operate our supply chains. And And I think a lot of companies in that moment really kind of understood their true purpose and whether that was helping with education, helping with bringing different business models to bear because of the situation. I think it really showed what was possible and brand owners and marketeers, I think, really stepped up. And it was it was absolutely about walking the talk instead of, you know, just talking, which I think has made quite some things infinitely more possible because instead of perhaps talking about it and thinking, oh, do we want to do this? But will consumers understand, you know, are we doing enough? Everyone kind of jumped right in. It's given people kind of confidence as well as I would say proof points to continue really coming from a place of kind of values and beliefs and purpose, which resonated, you know, so well across so many companies that did it, did it from that place of kind of values and wanting to help and wanting to to support. And if we look five years out, what is your biggest, boldest prediction? I think within food, the tipping point of a plant-based future is coming faster than perhaps people think. Certainly, technology is helping. The business model and scaling is helping. And so I don't think it's a new prediction, but I think the pace of change and consumer acceptance may surprise quite some people. So my money is on an accelerated plant-based future. I think... People are going to be private. 
I think people aren't going to care if I went to a restaurant or if I ate cauliflower or asparagus. We're like, we went from a point of like wanting to share everything to a point of, you know, holding more back and holding things more personal. So what we are willing to share as consumers will change in five years. So maybe to your point, it's not so much about some of those smaller things, but it's more larger worldviews or making larger statements versus sharing every single moment of your life. So one of my favorite questions to ask marketers, why do you love this business? I love the change. I love that it's always changing, that that people go from sharing to not sharing, that people go from caring to not caring, that it happens and, and we watch it happen and, and we have to continuously move and change, anticipate, react and change ourselves. So it's always different. I love it. I love that brands have the ability to, to shape culture, to change behavior, to show up and be a part of current conversations and to be able to do that you know, at scale, I feel like, like it's a huge responsibility, but it's also hugely rewarding to think that, you know, what you do in some small way, like actually makes a positive difference. <laughs> All right. Lightning round, Vicky, I know it's getting late there. So I want to make sure we're, we're cognizant of time. So I won't ask all, all of my lightning round questions, but favorite digital experience, recent digital experience. This sounds crazy, but I finally got access to my online banking. I am so excited, like life admin, whenever, wherever I need it. I mean, basic, but for me, illuminated. I can't get, I mean, just the streaming is amazing. I just caught up on Yellowstone. I watched the last four seasons or the first four seasons of Yellowstone and I couldn't stop. So I was watching it on my phone. I was watching it in my bed. Fair. Okay. All-time favorite band or song? I would have to say probably Dancing in the Moonlight, Wedding Song. Good to start. That is a great song. No one has ever said that before. I love that. I can't remember who it's by, but definitely worth listening to. (laughs) I'm a huge Johnny Cash fan. Okay. That's, That's fair too. Two very different vibes, but that is completely fair, both of them. Biggest inspiration? I've got a recent one. I've been hugely inspired by what Dole is doing within foods. The Pina Tex material that they brought, right? Again, a lot of conversation about vegan. So for those of you who don't know, it's a product, it's a material made of waste from pineapples. And I love it for two reasons. I think it goes towards a more kind of circular, sustainable business model. It margins up a business based on like waste material and how they communicated it with the likes of kind of Nike, LVMH, a lot of the big fashion brands, like bringing that to life in such a relevant and such a kind of culturally powerful way. I take my hat off to to my friend Rupin. I think he's done a great job there. Best career advice given or received? Oh, all that glitters isn't gold. Like, and what does that mean? Because it took me a long time. Somebody told me this when I was 16. They wrote it in, in my leaving book. And I was a bit like, oh, yeah, that sounds interesting. And over the years, I'm like, do you know what? The things that have been kind of milestones in my career have always been the things that didn't necessarily look the most sexy, the best role, right? The one that everybody wanted. And they have 
served me so well because they've been the most amazing learning opportunities, the steepest learning curves. And I think I'm a a better marketeer and hopefully a better human for it. So that would be mine. All that glitters isn't gold. I love that. Mine would be try new things, reinvent yourself. I think there's a lot of ways to add value and learning different skills and, and different disciplines and different trades really just overall helps with that. Last but not least, one thing that people should know about you, but they don't. That I like Johnny Cash? <laughs> okay, we'll count that one. We'll count that one. I have a patent, which I'm very proud of, a technical patent for a cap of a product that I designed about 10 years ago. And so I know more about mold management than most marketers wow. would need to know in a lifetime. So yeah, so sometimes some people are like, you seem to know a little bit too much about this project timeline and how to build industrial molds. And I'm like, indeed, because I have a patent. So there you go. <laughs> okay, so I have to ask one more follow-up question to that, Peggy. When you're at a grocery store or any store and you see a cap, like a really poorly made cap, does that just start a whole conversation? You're like, I can't handle this. Once you've worked on brands, it's kind of like you can't go into a supermarket and not look at your brand portfolio, right? And still now, you know, brands I was on almost 20 years ago, I will go, I'll turn them around and be like, oh, interesting. Not sure about the design. Oh, some new variants. I worked in personal care for many years. Like there is no excuse, right? For labels which fall off, caps which don't close, like leakage in toiletry bags. It's no, like there's just some basics. For those of you with, with mold management, <laughs> expectations you need those molds so um yes I am a person that goes and stalks product categories in the supermarket my personal groceries I buy online and then I will spend three hours in the supermarket on the weekend just to look at stuff which drives my husband mad (laughs) (laughs) that is see that is a great fun fact that is just the best we actually will have you back on we're just going to talk about packaging and product marketing and it will be a whole other conversation someday. (laughs) Well, I cannot thank you both enough for taking the time and joining us today for the pod and hope to have you both back very, very soon. Thank you so much. It was great, great chatting with you. Thank you, Chelsea. I loved it, Vicky. Thank you. And thank you again for listening to another episode of The Human Element. You can find us anywhere you can find your pod. Give us a like, subscribe, or send us a note. We'll be back out to you real soon. And in the meantime, be well.